I am at my literary wits end this year, Jim, because we keep having writer after writer, artist after artist come on the show, blowing our minds, and all of them are touching Star Trek adventures a little bit. They're in there, or maybe even they're in there a lot. So before we get started, I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG, lead writer on Captain's Log, and of course, a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one blog source for anything Star Trek Adventures and Captain's Log related. And now let's introduce Jim Johnson. Hey, everybody. I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG published by Modifius Entertainment. Lo, these many seven years now going on eight. Uh, lots of great products. Having so much fun with it. Um, co-host on this year's show with Michael Dismuke uh, going, uh, gosh, two years now. Over yep. two years. Episode. This is this is. Oh, my God. This is like episode 104. Five. Five, something I don't know. I've lost track. But we 108, 108, actually. 108. Yeah. Holy cow. Gosh, it, and it's been such it's such a great ride. And I think one of the things that has excited me the most is like the more we work on Star Trek Adventures and the more we the more we reach out to other Star Trek licensees and people in the production business and people involved in Star Trek and all of its many incarnations. They, you actually come on to the show. You're like, you're willing to come on to the show and talk to us. It's like, why would you do that? Like, how could you possibly do that? But I'm so excited to have two guests on the show with us tonight who have done some amazing Star Trek writing and have, have put some amazing Star Trek stuff together. Like this, this Star Trek year five thing, like we were talking about it right before we started recording. Um, we got the digital edition, right? And you all showed off and, 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 and pimp them a little bit here. This is a nice, beautiful hardcover collection. And uh, it's dangerous, right? Because like it's, I, I'm at my workstation, I'm at my desk. If I happen to pick it up and I kind of flip through it, I, I get sucked into it. I, the, the writing and the art sucks me in. And all of a sudden I'm late for a meeting or I'm late for something else. And I'm like, oh shit, I gotta go. I, I'll read it again later, but I gotta put it aside. And then I, you know, I take a break and I go sit down and I, and I read another uh, a chapter or something. So that is the power of Star Trek. It's the power of great writing. And I'm super proud to uh, to welcome Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly to the show tonight. Um, we've had uh, Jackson on the show before, but Colin, this is your first time. So I'll start with you uh, to introduce yourself. And uh, as, a, uh, as a tradition here on uh Continuing conversations, we ask all of our new guests to uh, pretty please tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, plug what you're working on, but also tell us what your favorite Star Trek series is and tell us who your favorite Star Trek character is. You can expound on those two options if you want to, but we'll leave that up to you. Uh, so right, yeah. away. No, totally. Happy to introduce myself to the Continuing Conversations crowd. Uh, I am uh, Jackson's uh, uh, brother from another mother. I am his, uh, He. we are two's halves of the same brain. Uh, we've been working together for 15 years, and I'm proud to call him both my uh, uh, business partner, my creative uh, better half, and also my best friend. Oh, in fact, last time he came on the show without you, he was bleeding off half of his body as if he had been separated. We it, was rough. it was rough times. It, um, it was like uh, it was like a it was like a binar missing half of their half of their um their duet. Du I really I, I I do love Star Trek because it did it gives us a perfect metaphor for how we work. We we walk into any room and go and like only we know what the hell we're saying. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, similar to Jackson, uh, I'm coming out of film school. That's when we started bonding to each other just as, as college friends. Uh, and then that kind of creative uh, frisson as young professionals kind of fused us into a writing partnership. And we've been together for about 15 years now. Uh, uh, in my uh, other life, uh, I am a professor over at USC. I uh, teach uh, narrative design, which oh. is pretty cool. Uh, even Define that for me, please. Narrative design, just so I understand. Narrative design is um, just effectively storytelling for games. It's the kind of catch-all for when you start telling stories within an interactive space. Um, it is just writing. Everything, everything is narrative design. It's just a larger shotgun to capture kind of everything within the purview. Thank you. Thank you for explaining. It is uh, introductory writing, uh, but we don't say it like that. We just want students to kind of get excited. We say, come for the games, stay for the three-act structure. Um, ooh, ooh, I'm tempted. <laughs> yeah, hey, welcome. Uh, and uh, yeah, my favorite Star Trek, uh, though uh, it was Voyager that raised me, DS9 cannot be beat. Uh, though I will always make a strong argument for the fourth season of Enterprise, um, obviously not the first, second, or third. God it's all about Shran. It's all about Shran. It's all about the Shran life. It's all about the 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 the, the incredible kind of three episode arcs they were doing there. But no, Deep Space Nine and part and parcel to that, my favorite character, hands down, is Worf. Um, specifically the Worf we do eventually start to see in DS9. Um, I think the Worf Jadzia relationship is one of the most powerful things uh, we've seen in Star Trek. Um, second only to uh, perhaps Tom Paris and Bolana Torres, uh, who is my other. They're my original. They're my OTP. Absolutely. Um, Can you tell this, Colin? Well, no, no, Colin. I don't know if you know it, but you actually have a twin living in Indianapolis right now. His name is Maurice Brodus. We interviewed yeah. him and he basically had the exact same <laughs> likes of, as you. It was amazing. I, I will not claim to be super original. Uh strong. Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you want a strong woman like Bellana Torres or Jed Zia Dax? Mm. I think we can all fall in love with a Beverly Crusher. We can all find our way to um, you know, even like Janeway certainly has a certain allure. Um, but come on, that Klingon passion. Uh, is cannot be defeated, uh, both in conflict or in love. Being able to live with that kind of um, that kind of heat in your soul mm -hmm. is incredibly appealing, especially when juxtaposed against so much of Starfleet, which is endemically about calming yourself down and approaching things with that kind of rationality. Um, it's great to see people who are so passionate; they literally can't. Uh, which I we, love see that. we see in Bellana, but we also see in Benjamin Sisko. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Mm. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about. I'm going to hold it. <laughs> We're going to hold it because I love what you're saying. I want to springboard off it later. <laughs> All right, Jackson. Hey, I'm Jackson Lansing. Um, I've been uh, I've been around these parts before. So if you've been uh, a long time continuing uh, adventures uh, listener, then, you know, you've heard me um, uh, continuing conversations rather uh, listener. You, you've heard me spout off before, but um, nice to see you all again. Uh, alongside Colin Kelly, I am the co-writer of uh, Star Trek Year Five and the ongoing Star Trek comic. Now um, that just culminated in uh, Day of Blood, our big uh, Star Trek uh, comic book event. Uh, first of its kind, insane time. Just oh yeah, you think you were you blew up the universe, bro? 
Try writing a book with 17 main characters. You got to service in every book. It's insane. Did I did did my love of Klingons bleed through to the work? I'm not <laughs> sure. Well, can, uh, can yeah, you correct yeah. me if I'm wrong? Because I haven't read every single Star Trek comic. You know, I probably haven't even read 10% of them. But has the universe ever blown up like that before? The way you guys uh, blew it up? Not, not really. Um, Star right. Trek. So I, I have actually read pretty much every Star Trek comic ever made. Okay. Uh, I made a study of it when we started Year Five. That's kind of my way of getting into things. That's how Colin and I work. Like, I kind of go down like a insane research hole and define a lot of rules and, and set pieces, and then Colin like three, three minds and pushes at those set pieces. And a lot of times on hmm. on like uh, that, that's specifically on stuff like this on like licensed work. It can be really useful because it uses my like I just can't help myself i need to know everything mm -hmm. um but a lot of that information is super useless it just becomes trivia uh and so colin helps like uh helps me shake that free when i get onto a project when i so but when we started on on star trek year five uh i i made a project of just getting every available star trek comic um i'd been following the mike johnson work for a really long time um and i'd read some of the dc and marvel work uh, but I hadn't read any Gold Key. Uh, I hadn't read some of the old Brit stuff that's hard, hard to find and isn't really in print. Um, but read all of it. And while it hasn't ever sustained a line-wide event before um, like that, there was a time in May or in a, in in, in a Marvel's uh, time with the comic, I think in the mid-90s, where they had a one shot that was like a deep space nine one shot and a Voyager one shot. And I think a next gen one shot and they all kind of like tied them together into an event, but it was a summer event insofar as there were like four Star Trek comics that made an event, but they, it wasn't like they were doing a line and then they brought it into an event and then that messed everything up, shook everything up and let them send off into the next part of the line. Um, this okay. is the first time that that's been able to happen in Star Trek. And it's, it's um, honestly an honor. Uh, it's, it's so crazy to me that we got a chance to do this and that idw was as supportive as they were and and uh I, it's been so cool to watch fans react and um yeah i don't know if it's an insult to say or not but you really turned a lot of these people into superheroes yeah and i was thinking that i was like this is like the avengers of trek here <laughs> so that was the pitch yeah. um like, what that was like like the pitch from the get-go was we want to do avengers for star trek not, 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 in, the, not in the superhero of it all right yeah. like but in the in the collecting of all of the best Right, putting it together into a super team was definitely kind of the in the DNA of what we were bringing to the table. But yes, in Day of Blood, everyone yeah. is absolutely pushed to the absolute limits and has no choice if they hope to survive but to become, I suppose, a kind of superhero. Um, I, you might say this is they're just living up to the ideals of Starfleet. Mm -hmm. What they're doing is getting being excellent Starfleet officers. But yeah, there is a lot of ass kicking in Day of Blood for a Star Trek, uh, for, for some Star Trek. I, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting point though, because um, superhero comics have, and you know, God knows we're, we're, we're deep in that, in that well. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of books at Marvel. We do a lot of books at DC. Our um, framework for superhero comics is fundamentally different than our framework for Star Trek. Um, and the big reason for that is just that the, the storytelling um, is inherently different. Uh, Star Trek doesn't solve its problems with violence. Day of Blood is a violent event, but the problem is not solved through violence. Mm, uh, the problem I love is that. Not, 
the, the individual moments are not solved with violence. I think the only person who actually solves anything with violence in that book, other than Shax, yes. <laughs> who gets to sit over here and be like, he just solves problems with violence. That's his shtick. <laughs> but other than Shax, the only person who really solves problems with violence is Lore. Uh, Lore mm. uh, has a sort of action sequence with Data and then pretty immediately uh, does a flipsy on him and 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 pulls himself out of uh, out of space and, and, and you know, goes up on his own to start his own adventure, um, dot, dot, dot to be continued. Right. So that is, I think, the only time we really see violence as an answer, um, which for superheroes really wouldn't be the case for superheroes. Right. The answer here would be. Ben Cisco beats Kales in a battle, <laughs> right? Right. That was never on the table as an answer here. That couldn't be the answer here because that's, that's not true. how Star Trek solves its problems. And it would sure. be, and and we're really uh, insistent um, that this book be as Star Trek as possible. It's called Star Trek. There are no subtitles. We're using every character we love. We're mm-hmm. tying in with Star Trek Defiant, which is a book that solves some problems with violence because that's like. They're breaking the rules over there. And it's really important to us that this book be representative of um, those like core Star Trek storytelling rules. And that's one of them. So it really uh, it's a that always keeps us from going full superhero, I think. Um, And you'll be happy to know athletes. (laughs) Yeah. And you'll be happy to know, too. I don't know. You may know him personally, but I'm a, a, a Delta flyer. I'm one of the admirals over there. So Robert Duncan McNeil had no idea he was currently in a his character. Tom Paris was currently in a comic book. So I've been sharing it with him and cracking up, showing him my favorite scenes. And he loves it. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So. Yeah. And so and so and so Garrett Wong co-hosts the show with them and he keeps asking, where am I? Uh. Have you read Have you read issue thirteen yet? No, I haven't. Okay. He's, oh yes, I did. So, sorry. Well, yes, he came. He showed up as the yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, I need to show him that. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Um, I did. They, I did. I'm not giving start, spoilers here. Look, this is going to sound thirsty, but if they okay. want to start reading the comic, they should start reading with issue thirteen because thirteen through what eighteen? Call uh, yeah. 13 through 18 is the Tom Paris arc. Okay. It's, well, I, it's like he's the lead of the book. Once a month, we get a monthly call with them. And so we all get to go around for four minutes and ask questions. And what I do is spending time usually showing them the comic book and what he did. So now since that came out, we haven't had our Admiral call yet. So because of the strike, they, they had to do some. Yeah, stuff. no, I get it. I get now it. they're back. Well, so I'll let Garrett know. Uh, uh, let them know. We're- Thirsty is a really good way of phrasing this. But I like I love Worf, but I am Tom Paris. Um, like that's just that he was the literally like the ideal like Tom Paris and Zach Morris are who I modeled my entire life. Yeah, you have the quaff. You gotta have the. Like, I got the quaff, baby. Um, so that is incredibly weird. And justice for justice for Harry Kim has been a drum I have been banging since I was like 16 years old, and we are finally getting to execute that in this arc of Star Trek. So please do. That's right. No, you're right because I I forgot I. I, I was on vacation and I read it. I was like, yes, and I did scream loud. My wife was like, what? Respectfully, <laughs> please inform them that we think they fucking kick ass. And uh, we are they? doing our best to to do justice. We're trying to help Tom earn his plate. It's Good. true. It's true. That commemorative plate has to come from from some real <laughs> character growth. So we're 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 getting them there. I'm going to send them a link to this so that they can see it. They're going to they're going to crack up. Awesome. Right. <laughs>
Jim might have questions. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got I'm, I'm honestly I'm, a little flushed. I'm just flushed. I'm just vibing off the passion, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just great to hear folks' passionate about what we do and uh, and what you're doing and uh, the, all the Star Trek love. It's just super inspiring. So uh, thanks for thanks for being here, man. Both of you, uh, this is just oh, great to yes. just to ah, our, plunge off our, of it. And we actually did have a theme today. Remember, Jim, that we were going to talk about? <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> oh, never, Give me the moment to bask in the... In I need the, to prove the, to you why I think Klingons are the coolest. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I would yeah. sleep with that. <laughs> and, you know, before I get to my first question, though, I'll, I'll just I'll just riff for a second here, um, Colin. I think you made a great point uh, about how strong and wonderful a character Jed Zia is. And I tell you, when I was watching DS9 for the first time, like I watched the first bunch of episodes, and I was like, okay, all these characters are pretty cool. I think Dax has a lot of potential. A little squishy, not quite sure where they're going with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the moment they did that episode where they bring in Kang, Koloth, and uh, and Kor, I was like, oh, oh, now they've got now they've added some real serious depth to this character. Having that, that is the episode character. where they wake her up. I yeah. think I think genuinely that's the episode where they figure out who that character is. I just finished a rewatch, and I had the same weird reaction was I was like for the first season I was like. Did I misremember how good Jedzia Dax is? Like they're kind of not giving her much. She's she's data sometimes, and she's mm-hmm. like a confidant. She's like Troy sometimes. Like they don't really know what she is. And then yeah, uh Kang Koloff and Kor show up. And you're like, oh, she's a Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> got yeah. it. You got yeah, that, God, that, that God love, to it. Yeah. God love DS9 season one. Someone has to. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I love that. <laughs> There are episodes in season one that that I love. I, I love Move Along Home. Um, I love Duet. I love in the in the hands of the prophets. I mean, I'm a I'm a stand for all of DS9, and uh, I can overlook the flaws. Like I, I acknowledge that the flaws are there, but I can still overlook them and see the amazing foundation that they're building on or that they're creating. Right? Then the season two and season three and so forth can can build on that. And you know what? That's a nice segue into the whole point of us having you on the show tonight because what you guys do. When you're when you're concepting your series, right? Obviously, you're putting a lot of work into pulling in the canon characters, thinking about what you're going to do with those canon characters, thinking about the setting, thinking about the universe, um, you know, figuring all that stuff out, all working from the common framework of Star Trek, right? The, all the Star Trek lore that we have, and I think what what we want to do is we want to pick your brains and like hear from you about like how do you conceptualize that series that you're creating. Because I think there are some very clear parallels that game masters and players can take from that when they're thinking about the kind of campaigns they want to run, uh, like and whether they're whether they're including canon characters or not, and uh, also how to give equal weight to the to the player characters as well as is pay appropriate homage to the canon characters because like you can't throw in a cameo from Cisco and make it a one off like Cisco has a whole weight and dimension to him that you have to honor and acknowledge when you pull him into your into your campaign true true for all the char- canon characters obviously but of course. um w- with that framework of thinking about you know an RPG group of people kind of doing the same thing that you're doing in some extent when you're conceptualizing a series uh just you know pontificate on that for a while and uh and tell us how you how you approach it because we, we'd love to know i mean i i think the last time i was on with y'all i think i told the story of the star trek game right mm-hmm. like I, I i talked about how we we did a for, for anybody who didn't listen to that podcast um yeah yeah the, the the real the real basic version of this is when I was in my mid twenties and uh, I was 
you know, Kyle and I were writing, but we weren't getting a lot of jobs and things were like kind of sparse and we had a lot of free time and we had a lot of friends and we had a lot of love for Star Trek. We, and we sort of thought no one would ever give us Star Trek, right? Like we sort of assumed we would never get to write these characters for real. So we sort of, so we thought, okay, well, this is a great opportunity for us to have some fun. Um, This was before Star Trek Adventures was out. So I developed my own Star Trek tabletop game um, effectively by modding White Wolf and invited ultimately about 30 people to come play. Um, And I had this living universe and it was called, but it really started and was centered around at the beginning, Colin, who was playing, who I just wanted to see play a Klingon. You saw him earlier. He has a bat left. He did that. Didn't come later. He had that already. Like he, he, he was already like into this shit. He knew what he loved. It was his vibe. And I thought this would be a really fun way to see him get out some of that, like rage and like internal passion stuff that he doesn't have a lot of outlets for. Oh, he's like, a rage monster. Look at him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, just monstrous. And I was like, this, this would be a really fun way for him to, to explore. And I would love to see my best friend get to do that. Like I would love to play in that. That sounds fun. So uh, I, I, I really initially, that was like what it was built around it was like, oh, I really want to see Colin play a Klingon and, and I'll figure out the rest of it as we go. And I ended up with a lot of really fun characters and all of that. But Colin came in as uh, Azram of the Red Path, a, a, uh, a uh, Klingon priest of this cult that he had created um, that anybody who's reading the Star Trek books now will recognize as our villain um, from the book. Uh, effectively, all of that originated in our um, game. There is poetry. Oh, in that's Tale cool. Blood. Like there, I think there's poetry in, in what issue seven, issue eight, issue eight or nine of Star Trek uh, that, that Colin wrote during the game, like for the game that were like he wrote like the red book. He had like a Bible for his. Can we pause for a second? I, yeah. I don't I don't want you to fly past this point real quick, because me and Jim talk about this all the time. We write <laughs> everything and to this day we pull this stuff into the game so everyone out there i i'm always encouraging people to journal and write you never know when you're gonna use it okay go ahead so fucking true good dude incredibly true i it's funny colin actually ended up binding up all the i used to give players an extra 10 xp every game if they um if they wrote some a, a recap uh Oh, a recap, but like an in fiction recap. Yeah, like some kind of in fiction recap. Okay. And he ended up binding it into a red book. Oh uh, okay. I've never shown you this, Jim, and I probably should, but I'm going to take us back to Marvel RPG because I was big into TSR, then all the iterations yeah. up to until then. So, so and again, I'm, I, this is all in this genre of conversation, but encouraging people write, even if you don't think it's good. So what I would do is I would self-create and people are looking at this. This is our group was a mega force, right? I even did the old 1980s Marvel characterizations. I either paid artists or I I did it myself in Photoshop. And then what I do every issue, I would actually write the whole thing out. And then you could, again, every issue I would custom make and so to this day and i gave this as a gift when my group kind of broke up because they all moved i gave them all of our thing and we have multiple volumes of this oh with all these fake comics that's so lovely and to this day i could i can still pull on the characters even if i'm writing star trek i can pull on a character personality because it's so well developed that it goes into the game so i just had to pause there and just encourage people right 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 i mean two, two things there in that like a uh, the value of physical objects should never be dissuaded, right? Like, especially we're talking about, first off, oh, let's talk about TTRPGs. Uh, yeah, guys, we'll go. <laughs> okay. Um, but the idea <laughs> of 
actually having physical props at your table like that is an incredible value add. I think we all know that. But also, um, uh, oh, wow, the idea. Oh, Jackson always has a great um, turn of phrase, which is that DMing is just writer pushups. Um, and this is so fucking true. Like playing, playing tabletop is doing nothing but engaging in your role play, which is nothing but writing. Right. And I think that's an important thing when you are playing something like Star Trek is, um, so often it can become, it can, the line between, um, professionalism and fanfic is so incredibly thin. Right. Because it's like, but what you need to do in telling your story is a be authentic to the characters and remember that the that the characters are um, they exist outside of your interests. Right. Talk about that. What do you mean by that? Please expound on that piece. Sure. Um, The idea that just because your story, but just because you want someone in your story doesn't necessarily they're going to play with your story correctly. Um, and it's like you can't the trick becomes when it starts to go off the rails is if you start bending a character in order to fit where you want them to go, especially if there are these characters who are absolutely core and canon and we know how they would react. Right. That's the wild thing here is like we kind of you can read. Emotionally, when Ben Cisco isn't right. Right. Mm-hmm. Know kind of how Avery Brooks would be performing. We know what he wants out of the character. We know who these people are, which is the real value of having this massive licensed catalog to work off of. Like, yeah, I don't need to pretend I know what the fuck data sounds like. I've got. How many... He writes in, he writes himself basically at some he point. Himself exactly. Like for us at least, it's about kind of getting out of the way and letting the characters. Kind of and just channeling the actors' performances into those characters. Um, yeah. And I would say that, like, if you are trying to pull that into your work, into your own games, the trick is they can't just be propping up your party, right? Mm. Like, yes, when Picard turns to your party and says, "I'm really proud of you," it's like, "Oh yeah, I I like that. I'm glad Dad likes me now." Like, good. But the truth of the matter is, like, Picard might not care. Picard right. might be a real ass, right? And remembering and being authentic to the characters um, as you incorporate them into how you tell your story uh, is the real key to making sure that it's authentic and not just feel good. To, to me, uh, to, to sort of jump, jump jump off of that, and I missed a little bit of that. I apologize. I had to jump off for a second. But um, I the way that I tried to think about using canon characters was that they can kind of be a they can be a huge um boost to the party in the right mo- in the right moment the way that um in, in the season 1 finale of lower decks uh riker can show up at the end and save the day and it's like incredible right and that's okay cuz it's been set up and we we understand how it's gotten to that point and so we're like oh riker showed up so cool and the players can kind of freak out about that that's fun that's that's a that's a good use of a, of a canon character it lets you do that without them taking the 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 stakes out but if riker's there the whole time and he's got the titan the whole time he's the hero not your player characters and i think that that can be a real problem so the first thing that i tried to do was if i had a character on a starship i tried to make sure that i had a player captain 
or if the player captain wasn't if there if there was if there was no player captain and they were on somebody else's ship that there was like a personal relationship going on there so like i had a character who was playing um a ferengi who was in starfleet who was i was he was he was playing quark's son and so the idea was like um with cheekily named hadron uh because that's the smaller particle than a quark um and the um the fun with hadron was that uh when people showed up, he had a certain familiarity with them because of Quark. But he but he was in Starfleet. He, he, you know, Quark was not part of his game. He was mostly interacting for a long time with Picard. And he had this like basically this mentor mentee relationship with Picard. And Picard got to be his core NPC, his uncle Iroh, his, um, you know, in, in like. That was a thing that we hadn't really seen from somebody else's perspective. We we had seen the Rolaren pers- perspective on that relationship, but we never seen it the other way. So this was a great way to like show how that was both a good thing and a bad thing. How it can be great to have Picard as a mentor, but in some ways it's also really hard to have Picard as a mentor because he's a really like tough guy and he's he's gonna you know hold your feet to the fire, right? Um, and so that let me explore both sides of that character. Also, the fun thing about RPGs is you can break the canon. So in our game, we our game took place. Um, in the year 2425 something like that so like we were we were like late later in the franchise certainly from where like the star trek game or the star trek book takes place so all this stuff had more of a distance to it so the picard who showed up in our show was a picard who had who was quite old and had been and and you know because we were pre picard three so there were picard Star Trek Picard, there was no canon. So in ours, he never left the Enterprise. He 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 didn't make the mistake Kirk did, and he just never retired because he never really had anywhere to go. He he loves that ship. That's where he lives. Like they make a whole point out of that. That he's never going to go back to that vineyard. He has no interest in that. He doesn't really have interest in family. He wants to stay on this ship. And so what we had had was he had slowly just made himself synthetic as a result of needing to stay on the ship and being old. And so he just plugged himself more and more and more into the ship. So Picard had this like very intimate relationship with the enterprise and wouldn't let anybody retire him. And here he had this young guy coming in to be like, Hey, uh, I'm trying to become a Starfleet officer. And here's this, this old reflection of a Starfleet officer saying, well, this is what it's like. If you are a lifer, that must have freaked you out. Then the end of Picard season one. Yeah, it was. I mean, look, uh, the amount of things in the Star Trek canon between Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds that are things that we did in our game that I have now seen happen directly in Star Trek ever since is remarkable. I could oh, write no. say about it. It is wild. My I friends were convinced. Are close. My I had friends a character were con- called Rockatok on on our like in our game. And then they were like. Here's this character, Rockatok, on on um uh on Prodigy. Talk, yeah. I, I I called my buddy Nick and I was like, did you see that? Like, what is it's that? not only you, Jackson? My friend, my friends were convinced that Marvel had hacked my computer at some point. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. It's, it happens, man. It absolutely happens. Um, things like how you get a deep impact and an Armageddon in the same year. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Sometimes the idea is right. And if you put enough, you you put enough monkeys in a room, they're all gonna produce Shakespeare, right? Like you put enough people who love Star Trek. <laughs> how that goes. <laughs> that's how it goes. All the monkeys make Shakespeare. <laughs> you put them enough monkeys in a room, one will make Shakespeare. Well, yeah, you only need one. The rest are fucking food. One, <laughs> monkey, one monkey to write Shakespeare, the other monkeys to be the food for the Shakespeare monkey. 
Oh, that's so creepy. Wow, that's dark. Mm. Monkey eats monkey eats monkey right Jim, Jim, you Jim, can you keep up? Can you keep up with our energy? <laughs> Poor Jim. Okay. Um, I'm, listening, I'm listening and observing it. So I wanted to, to just note, Jackson, you had a great idea in there. And I want to expand on it a little bit because I want to put it out into the ether so somebody somebody can pick up on it and run with it. Because um, because it, it's tying in what you just said into into what we've what we're seeing in discovery uh in the 32nd century mm-hmm. um what what a fascinating idea it would be to have a career starfleet officer now we know humans and vulcans and a lot of the star trek species have very long lifespans right and yep. and we know that because they have very long lifespans uh, a character could spend 70 80 90 years in starfleet just doing the starfleet thing refusing to be promoted to admiral just doing the captain thing forever right and what a neat idea if if a captain like whether it's picard or like somebody like picard you know uh or you know any starfleet captain really is is in starfleet for so long and is connected with a ship for so long that eventually they 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 incorporate themselves into the ship to where you have like a zora so like you know like the enterprise is now the enterprise you know p for picard or whatever and it's like it's actually picard's <laughs> consciousness in the ship right yeah. a living sentient ship that is this captain who's been in starfleet for 100 odd years and now they are the ship and they have a crew on the ship and now they're they're not just the mentor to the crew but they're also the ship right yep. and I, really I, I, uh, isn't of that. that so fucking cool that yeah. star trek can contain that idea Mm-hmm. Right, Star Trek can do so many things. That's like it's literally it's why our game expanded to thirty plus people over seventeen ships. Yeah. Take seventeen. Like we're still playing that game. It's still not over. Um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, we're it, still it, playing that game. By which he means I put that game on hold because I could no longer hold all those threads. It was like I don't. I don't want to make a. Have you guys seen the finale of Loki yet? Yes. Yes. So good. All right. I. <laughs> So I good. genuinely felt like Loki at the end. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to let go of these threads or I'm going to die under the weight of this. Anyway. As, his, as, as, as a player in this game, it's nothing but a tragedy. As his writing and business partner, thank God that game is over. Uh, um, <laughs> but what I was saying is this. I, I agree, Jim. That's a fucking cool idea, right? But it's like, what happens with photonics, right? Like what happens when the body starts to become less important than the mind behind the body? These are the questions that Star Trek is uniquely positioned to approach because they're going to approach those answers from a humanist and utopic utopic, utopic perspective, right? Mm-hmm. What is the best possible option in terms of how this can go is something that Star Trek is going to absolutely like. It's why we love the Federation. Right. Star Trek. Oh man, D- Jim, if we had them on a riff episode, we would die. Because I'm just thinking, like, you know, exploring the universe just to end up finding the technology to make you immortal. Yeah. Well, so we see it's there. They just got to put the pieces together. I'll, I mean, I'll, gen- gen- genuinely, that's sort of at the core of what we're doing in in Star Trek right now. Like, if, if you're reading the ongoing series, the the first thing that we sat down to talk about when. Heather Antos was first like, hey, what's what's a book look like if it's just called Star Trek? And we couldn't quite believe it. And we were like, well, okay, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean if a book's just called Star Trek? Like, how do you do that? And not just have it be the original series, right? And, um, you know, we talked about the Avengers of Star Trek and we talked about building up to events and structural stuff and how it might interlay with, with Defiant and all that. 
But then once we'd gotten done with all the big picture, pie in the sky, here's what the structure is going to be like. We had to get in and figure out what the story was going to be, how how you tell a story that is uniquely and fundamentally Star Trek. And one that if you don't know anything about Star Trek, if you are not a Star Trek fan, you can approach this and it's going to give you something that is uniquely Star Trek. And I think Star Trek sometimes has a hard time doing that because it plays in the shadow of Star Wars sometimes in the public consciousness. People, people, they, they have a word in common. And, and unfortunately, that has made them rivals in a way that they really shouldn't be because they are nothing alike. But the thing about Star Wars is that Star Wars has Jedis, Jedi with laser swords. So if you want to do a thing and you're like, I want this to feel uniquely Star Wars, lean on the laser swords because that's what they got. They got this really unique binary force laser sword mythic duel of fates thing. It makes a sound that literally makes the hair on all of our arms just shoot up in the air. Right. Star, Star Wars just has this going on. Star Trek doesn't have that. What Star Trek has is the Enterprise and the Federation and uh, Starfleet and woo and colored uniforms. And like it has all this like aesthetics, but it doesn't have a thing where you can just like kind of play that hit. Well, I disagree. I, I have the feeling that my hairs would stand up if I heard the transporter behind, behind me, but I didn't well, see sure. it. Sure. Okay. I mean, yes, absolutely. I'm not going to argue with that. But I, but I, but I don't. But that's not like a. But that's not like a. But that's not like a story hook, right? It's like how do you? They don't have that that thing. And so we were looking at it, it was like how do you take all of Star and they have so many different Star Trek. You know, every Star Trek is a little bit different. You're going to get your different flavors. That's the whole point of it. It's awesome. Um, as opposed to Star Wars, where it all feels like the same thing after a fashion. The thing that Star Trek does that I think is really unique. Um, is that while it changes all those flavors, it is pretty much always about in some way or another, if when you when looked at from the global level, uh, the relationship between humanity and that which exists beyond humanity. It's about looking it to use the Roddenberry term, right? It's looking into the unknown and seeing ourselves. And that's not just looking at something on another planet. It's looking at God. And seeing ourselves, which Star Trek does over and over and over. It's done. It's done. So since TOS, right, it's done. So with the Organians, it's done. So with Trelane, it's done. So with Q and with the with all the way down to like species 8472 um, to the Borg to follow to the prophets, obviously, are like the fundamental one where they actually centered it in the whole series. But Q is also centered in the whole series. It's not like Cisco was the first guy who had to deal with a space god, right? Like they're all dealing with space gods. And that's a really it was a wild thing to realize. We were like, huh, no other science fiction television series has that as a refrain. I can't look at Babylon 5 and I, I can kind of, but they're not gods. They're just big evolved species and they kind of hide and they're very faceless. And and frankly, he kind of got that from Star Trek. And like, you know, but like, I can't look at X-Files. I can't look at Space Above and Beyond or the, the, the Battlestar Galactica. Like when we were like, what is the thing that you can do that is fundamentally Star Trek? It was tell a story about how you go out into space and become a god. What is that like? What does it mean to hunt gods? What does it mean to preserve gods? What does it mean to talk to them, to empathize with them, to work with them, to save them? What are gods when you are a scientist, when you are a rational, exploratory scientist? Um, what do those mean to you and how do those kinds of stories frame? And so that's why for the first volume is called God Shock. It's why Kalos is hunting gods. It's why we use the term gods in a way that Star Trek doesn't normally, because we needed to come up with a unifying term for these characters. And the only real one that we have is gods. And so we wanted to use that and deconstruct it over the course of the book. Um, 
Every language would have a comparative. Yeah, in the future, every language would have a a comparative for a deified race. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We can say Kardashev level three civilization, right? Yeah, that's what we say a lot. We say Kardashev level three civilization. (laughs) But it's it's a mouthful. And not a lot of people, not everyone gets it. Um, But it is something definitely like, you know, on a long enough timeline, our dream would be that the Federation is able to reach that status. Right. I think yeah. that's like a beautiful arc of humanity, um, you know, where one day we can transcend all this stupid fucking bullshit of our meat bodies and ascend to the fucking sky. That sounds incredible. Fuck yeah, buds. Like, well, and, and, and that's I like and my that's, meat body. <laughs> and, and we and we say that in the very first story of this new Star Trek series, which is the the Gary seven. Or I'm sorry, the Gary Mitchell uh, death. Uh, story. Yeah, Gary Mitchell in, in Star Trek 400. In Star Trek 400. Mm. That story begins or, or really like culminates in him seeing the future of the Federation and being like if everything goes to plan they'll all join me here. And I, I just got here first. I got here well before I was supposed to. But if all goes to plan, they'll be here too. Um, but that plan involves them. They have to do it. You know, it's 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 not like God's going to reach out a hand and be like, come be a God. It's you got to go figure it out. You got to go do that. And you got to be better than um, than those who would would answer things with violence and hate. And and um, and you have to survive long enough to do it, which I think is the big, you know, obviously one of the big hopes of Star Trek. It's the, the thing that Star Trek tells us is we survive long enough to do it. Um, which I still I, I just find really, really valuable these days. Yeah, absolutely. Now this is this is fascinating listening. And Michael, I I wish there was a way that we could bottle all of this up, all this insight and all this knowledge into the books that we're doing, like Captain's Log and everything else that we're working on, uh, to show gamers either either new gamers to Star Trek or new gamers to STA or just gamers in general, like how different Star Trek adventures can be compared to D and D and Pathfinder and Vampire and everything else. Not to say it's better. It's just very, very different. And I see this all the time on social media for the game where somebody will say, hey, I'm a gamer. All my background is in D&D and Pathfinder. My group wants to give Star Trek Adventures a try. Like, what, what do I need to know? And, and and my caution to them is like, OK, well, you know, it's an RPG, but it's like tonally. So, and I mean, you know, mechanics aside, it's, it's, it's very different mechanically, but like tonally. It's so different from what you probably are familiar with from D&D and Pathfinder and some of these other games because Star Trek is so, I don't want to say, I mean, it really, actually, it really is kind of uniquely different because there is not another science fiction franchise out there that hits the same way Star Trek does, right? That like Babylon, you mentioned Babylon 5, you mentioned Star Wars, you mentioned Firefly. They're all very different tonally. And there's there's nothing that I can think of. It's interesting. That you say that, Jim, it's interesting that you say that because not only am I reading, you know, Jackson and Collins' current Star Trek run, but I've gone back to the John Byrne run also, where he did this whole thing on number one. I don't know if you, I know Jackson probably read it, <laughs> but, but, but um, to your point, that ranges again. And I was thinking, I was like, if someone really doesn't know what to do with Star Trek, but they are into science fiction and comic books, they could pick up books, novels, and see every genre hit in yeah. there. Right, Colin, you were about to say something? Oh, I mean, I was just going to say, like, it really is. It's incredibly true. Like, Star Trek might be the only TTRPG that's not a small little bespoke thing that is, you know, it's like, well, if you've resorted to violence, something's gone wrong, Mm -hmm. which is just such a unique 
and challenge for a DM, right? It's like, this is not a shooty shoot murder game. You cannot murder hobo yourself through Star Trek Adventures. You need to comport yourself like a professional scientist facing incredible odds. And like, that is a steep challenge. That's hard for people to do because it's much easier to roll the roll the math rocks and make your Eldritch Blast go boom, right? But well, like, to your point yeah. too, and sad to say, that is the nature of society right now. True. True. Yes. And that's why playing the game, and me and Jim have talked about this quite a bit, playing the game is seeing if you can ascend in thought where common humanity right now is not doing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely true. Fucking nailed it, bud. 100% correct. And, and that's but I think that's also that, but that, and that's the struggle of telling any Star Trek story. Yeah. I, I would say, I, I guarantee you, they have those same conversations in the Star Trek room for like Strange New Worlds, right? They're, they are absolutely having that same conversation because you have to look at these stories and say, how do you solve this? beyond as you say common humanity um because that's what star trek is star trek is a is it sounds elitist but like star trek is a story about how we are better mm-hmm. it's 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 yeah. it's a story not just about how we can be better than we are now but it's like legitimately a story about like people after we're better like we've already evolved a little bit and now we're facing the next challenges the challenges that come from being evolved um those challenges that sit between we've survived being cannibalistic as a society and we've ascended to a space where we are eternal and that that middle ground is like that's where star trek takes place like that's the i do you just gave me an interesting realization like i'd love to read a paper on this but like star wars very much is like i'm gonna trust in a magical in some magical bullshit that's gonna help me save the day and star trek is like nah bitch you solve it Right. There's a personal exactly. responsibility that comes with Star Trek that I'm now realizing might scare people who might be in particular not really interested in having their positions challenged, not being told you have to solve your own problems when it is much easier to hope for space Jesus to show up with a mate with a laser sword. Right. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. But he might not be coming, but you and might to be exemplars. Yeah, and and to be exemplary, it's interesting. This this episode actually airs after one we do with um, Derek Tyler Attico, the writer of the autobiography of um, uh, Cisco, and Morris Brodus, who's also a, a, a Afrofuturist writer. And one of the things that came out, and it's worth repeating, Jim, to us, it's been an hour, but for everyone else, it's going to be four <laughs> weeks. <laughs> but one of the things that's worth repeating is... They said on this panel I sat in at Gen Con that Afrofuturism isn't about a future where there's just people of African-American heritage and nobody else. It's about a future where they're, it's totally mixed and totally diverse. It's just they don't use the same tools that were used, the horrible tools that humanity used for the past 400 years. And Star Trek is that as exemplars now going, you know, traveling through the universe, going to other planets, meeting new civilizations, say, hey, you know, we hurt too, but we have a better way now. And really, I know for our group, we rarely fire a phaser and ra- rarely fire a photon torpedo. And we have scary games. Yep. We have intense games. And I think that for me is where I try selling people on Star Trek RPG that's, and Star Trek as a really, genre. That's really cool. Uh, I It's funny. So my home game was actually very violent, but that was because I had a very small amount of Starfleet characters in it that by and large, my Starfleet characters were outnumbered by my Dominion characters and my 
Klingon characters, my Romulan characters and my Cardassian characters. And like I had characters from all of these like very violent backgrounds. 30 people, not a single human. Yeah, genuinely. Eventually we had one human and he was secretly not a human. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and he was my most powerful Star Trek character. Like he, in terms of like Starfleet, he was the, by, by the time the game was done, he was the captain of the Enterprise. And he was like a bad dude, but had been doing like some very secret stuff in the background. And the whole point was I was going to sort of slow roll him into villainy for the rest of the party, which never got there because that's how these things go. But it was a really interesting. Um, it was a really interesting thing to see and and, and to reflect on that a That's lot of stories. Yeah. That a lot of the stories I didn't always and they weren't always you know hey you got to solve this with violence. But my most of my players didn't have that kind of compunction where they were like well we can't get in a fight. And then like the Star Trek character the Starfleet characters that I did have mostly were like oh we can get in a fight. And the only time that I really challenged that was pretty late. I, the whole point of, of the game was like we were, we moved through these four seasons. We were, the idea was to do six, but like I got them to four. And when we got to four, the idea was I kicked off this big war with the Tholians, a lot of which turned into aspects of Star Trek Year Five. And the, um, the kicked off the Tholian War. And when we did that, I had these four characters in Starfleet Academy who were where everyone else was playing this big, crazy war game, their game was like Hogwarts. It was like, can I pass this test? Is, am I gonna do good on my finals? Like what's the, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a school AU game for, for them. And then the idea was gonna be, I never got to this. This was like, but this was, I was kind of trying to make this point inside the game was they were gonna be there and then they were gonna graduate out of the academy and get scattered off into the war that had been going on with all of my other players. And they were going to learn like, oh, these players don't solve things like we solved them at Starfleet Academy. That's right. That like, we've kind of lost ourselves in this war. There's Star, Starfleet has, has gotten pulled into this too much. And we have started to solve things in a really, and like we've become corrupted and we've started to, to, to regress. And we really got to think about how, what we can do to like not regress. And that was very much like what I was doing with those, those Star Trek characters. So it's funny because I go back and I look at it. It's like, oh, some of my favorite moments are like when that guy got stabbed or like whatever. That's like not Star Trek. Like that's really not how that's supposed to work. But I once, I once butchered like 400 people uh, <laughs> with just me and my bat left. Um, <laughs> let's cling on life, baby. Like if you want to stand against the best, you got to fucking. Oh. To be to be clear, you mostly they were either Klingons who would not give up. Or there was there was a group of Klingon uh, Borg augmented Klingons. Yeah, who they okay, Borgs you can, Borg you can kill. That's okay. Yeah, Borg, yeah, Borg that we don't mind. They're already they're already zombies. So that's okay. That so then I have to ask as, as prolific writers for Star Trek now, and you know, do you think post Picard we can get back to the Star Trek universe of the TNG height of the Federation? Do you think that that's possible to be go I mean, back to that dream state? In 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 media or kind of what's what context? Yeah, a Paramount, a show post Picard, and it's actually back to the feel of Voyager or or DS9. And well, DS9 got Dominion worried toward the end. But. Well, so I think that's what Strange New Worlds is doing, truthfully. Like no, but because Strange New Worlds is again TOS. I'm asking yeah, post Picard. Yeah, oh, you mean era. You mean era. Got it, got it, got it. Um, I mean, sure. sure. So, like, we're 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 we we know all the folks on that side of things, and despite 
every little trick and every little treat we can try and get a little bit of crumb. That office is locked up tight. We have no idea what's going on in that black box. But I think what we've proved is there not we, but like Star Trek as a whole right now has proved that there is a real passion for those characters. Um, clearly, the world that they invest, they they exist in, is still really intriguing to people. Like they would be fools to not do something. I love you, our Paramount overlords, but like it does seem like that's a sweet spot for them to start exploiting and like telling a cool story. So like from your fucking lips to God's ears, I think that God's ears, haha. Um, like, I think we're all kind of like vibing on where discovery is now, like let it do its little, its future dance. Very interesting. But like, I, I think we all would love a return to the next gen era and kind of get, especially since Picard jumped 30 years, like there is a whole swath of storytelling to be told, uh, that, uh, someone better pick up that baton. Otherwise we're coming for it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, right? Like, I hope it's us, right? Like that's, uh, we, one of our, our goals in this life is to do that like we, we we would like to take what we have done in in the comics and obviously like not to toot our own horn too much but i'm very proud of this like we got star trek its first eisner nominations in difficult categories that licensed comics never do that's a big deal like colin and i i think have proven over and over again that we have a love for this that we have a a, a pat not just like a passion for it but like a knowledge and an ability to execute it um, at some level or another, I hope somebody takes advantage of that on the TV side at some point. I think we have something to offer. I think we have something additive. Um, uh, and and I, I think we will keep, we know what we're doing on Star Trek for the next several years, right? So we're not in any rush. Um, we know what comes after Star Trek. Like we know how that book is ending. It's a long time from now, but we know what that looks like and we know what happens afterwards. So we're, we're well and truly stocked for Star Trek for a while, but eventually I would love us to be able to come in Take that era that meant so much to us, that meant so much to everybody, and refurbish it. Um, uh, give it a little bit of shine. Give those outfits the kind of the 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 updating that they deserve. I think right now, if I'm being honest, the show that you're describing is Star Trek Lower Decks, which like Mike is doing. I think a really excellent job of taking the that era doing episode by episode fun Star Trek stories. Now, are they like? TNG level, Deep Space Nine level, like depth episodes, not necessarily. Sometimes they are. Um, sometimes they're fun runabout, uh, uh, fun, you know, walkabouts where we're going to uh, mess about about archaeologists or whatever. Right. But they are good, solid TNG DS9 era Star Trek episodes. I know he, I, we were on a panel with him and Terry Metalis and a few other people just a couple of weeks ago. And they asked us all, what do you think Star Trek should be next? They asked us this exact question. Oh, and wow. Like, cool. And, 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 uh, and Terry gave the most KG answer of all time, uh, which makes sense. And Mike, but Mike gave a very straight answer that I thought was really cool, which is 22 episode seasons, TNG era, like new crews, new characters, new stories, like new stuff. That's what they, they need to go back to the model and do the model again because it works. And it's awesome. And it builds Star Trek. So there's no reason for us not to be doing that right now. Um, and we totally agree. Like, I would love to see, I would love to see Mike do that. I would love to see us do that. I would love to see someone do that. Um, whoever it is, because I think that Star Trek, my biggest problem with Strange New World, though they have maybe eat crow on this a little bit, especially with La'on, is that 
everything's a reference. And that there's a little bit of like, oh, this character is reminds you of this thing. And this character is a connection to this thing. And this character is a connection to that. And I, I do kind of want a show where it's like, I don't know who any of these alien species are. I don't know anything about this captain. I don't have any connection to these people. I, they don't have any connection to things that I know. This is a new crew with new stories to tell because you didn't have to know about androids to fall in love with data. Data paved that road, right? Yeah. You need to know about visor technology to get into Jordy. Jordy paved that road. And like on and on and on. I and think- that's where data, that's where I'm going to say that's where Max, this data that, that the companies use to determine how to create these characters can also kill the characters because they didn't have that back in the TNG years where it's like, we need one of these because the data shows this in our focus groups. The writers just had to write, you know, and and I I think that's what happens with a lot of these characters. Sometimes when you hear about it, they come out of focus groups. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I want to I want to pull all that together here. So uh, and, and go back to STA a little bit. So um, my my encouragement to the writer uh, to the to the players and the game masters out there, um, you know, as you're thinking about your new campaigns, you are writers, right? You are co-writers, you are co-producers, you are co-directors, you are you are everything to your new series. And and like, you know, Jackson and Colin are saying here, like they have a plan for the Star Trek comic book for several years down the road. There's there's Paramount's got whatever they're planning. That we have no idea about. I mean, we know a little bit. We know there's a Star Tree, a Starfleet Academy series coming. We know there's a Section 31 movie coming. There's other things certainly in the works that we have no idea about because we won't know until they announce them. Um, but this is this is the opportunity, right? Like what I love about Star Trek is it's a huge timeline. And even within that timeline, there are huge swaths of it that haven't been touched yet. Right. Uh, you, you, you certainly with the comic books, you guys have touched on it a little bit in certain areas, but like the whole between Enterprise and original or I guess Enterprise and uh, Discovery, first two seasons of Discovery, that whole Romulan war. They haven't really touched on that yet. They were going to in Enterprise, but they didn't. That's fertile ground. Um, ain't it just. Yeah. Ain't it just it's the like, fertilest of ground. Yeah, I, but, I wanted to do that. That was my plan for season six of my RPG. Mm-hmm. I was going to get everybody up to this like big moment and I was going to end it all. I season five, I was going to like get done with season four. I was going to end all of it. Mm-hmm. And then season five, I was going to be like, we're doing the Romulan war. There's only two sides and it's a draft. Yeah. And like, everybody's got to pick a side and we're going to do the Romulan war. I love the Romulan war. I would love to see that adapted. I think the so, also, so got, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say for your storytellers out there, I think the key thing for a, a GM playing in this space is yeah, we're telling professional Star Trek stories. Terry is going to be telling professional Star Trek stories, but like, guess what? All of us, we're just you, right? Like your story might kick so much more ass than what we are throwing down that it's like, I would recommend every GM to just unshackle their creativity and like let themselves loose on this. Uh, and like you have away missions for action 100%, but in our game, we never had more exciting games than when we just had six people at a table effectively LARPing what it's like to be a bridge crew and how you solve these problems. Like no dice. I love dice. We all love dice. Fuck rolling dice. Just let your characters act and be Federation officers. Because just like I was saying at the start of this, you know how these characters react. You know what it's like to be a Starfleet officer. Like, unleash that. You don't need to shoot every single alien. You can understand them. And that's so much more rewarding. Yeah. 
Yeah, on. Anyway, go on. Like, there's so much more that we can go on, but I, I just want to encourage game masters and players like, don't wait for the media. You know, yeah. don't, wait, don't wait for the new comic books to come out. Don't wait for the new TV series to come out. You've got a thousand hours of Star Trek to use as your as your blueprint, right? Go create your characters, create your ship, create your station, whatever, and then just go tell amazing stories. And you know, Colin alluded to this earlier, where he was saying that you know, Star Trek is not like star wars because it's about the characters having to figure the stuff out you're not relying on the force you're not even relying on the technology right star trek is a science fiction show they have amazing technology they can they can beam people from a planet to a ship they can go warp speed they can do like they can make stuff out of nothing right they can turn matter into water they can turn matter into a new uniform whatever like it's incredible technology but it's still not the technology solving the problem it's the people right mm -hmm. So, so just lean into that, make some awesome characters with your group, and then just go tell amazing Star Trek stories. Uh, so, um, this is awesome. And we could go all night with this. That hour went like that, as usual. I love, love both of you. So, we're going to close up with gratitude, as is our tradition. My gratitude is actually going to go as a piece of encouragement to GMs, just like everything Colin and Jackson and Jim are talking about. Right, right, right. No one's looking. Practice your chops. Your stories are important. Even if it's just one paragraph or one instance or one object or one interaction or one character that you create that you pull in 20 years later, all of which I've done, you're never going to regret it. So really, Colin and Jackson, as RPGers who've grown into leaders in the industry and storytellers for Star Trek, wow, what a gift. Um, thank you for setting the example for so many years and for the rest of us. All right, let's go Jackson and Colin and then Jim to close out. Uh, wow. Um, my gratitude is to you for saying that nice stuff to me. Uh, no, uh, I, I, I am really, I, I really want to send out gratitude to everybody um, who did that game with me. I think, uh, you know, oftentimes I, when I talk about the Star Trek game, it's as like a nebulous thing that happened that like you might know a couple of things from, you know, in the comics or whatever, but it was a collection of friends at a, at a, at a weird period in all of our lives when none of us knew what we were going to end up doing or how we were going to end up being successful. And we all came together just to like tell stories. So, um, you know, I want to like name all of them right now, but I would straight up, like, I, I would, I would forget one and then it would all be a disaster, right? Like then I would feel guilty for the rest of my life, but to, Every player who ever came into that game, whoever um, messed around, uh, whoever uh, had a great idea and put it on the table, um, not only, you know, am I, you know, eating dinner on those ideas now, but also like I genuinely I think they got me through a, a, a really rough part of my life where I needed something like that, where I wasn't we weren't busy like we are now. Like Colin and I are too busy for our own good right now. But back then it was very much the opposite. And, and I think without that, I think creatively it would have been a, a real drought so um i know those people got me through a lot they got me through a, a whole uh mess of of creative and personal growth um and they've been so fundamentally core to the success of the comics so um you know to each and every one of them um it it, it really uh means the world to me so thank you wonderful uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll toss it out to every fan that we've collected, everyone who's picked up one of these books, everyone who's kind of fallen in love with what we're throwing down. Um, it's just been out overwhelming. Um, the the number of people we've had young folks coming up 10, 12, you know, years old coming up being like, you got me into Star Trek. And there's nothing better than that feeling of welcoming someone into um, a world that really 
respects intelligence and rationality and humanity. Um, that feels really good. Um, and to all those GMs out there um, or other storytellers who might love Star Trek and kind of be thinking of this stuff and being overwhelmed, there's a piece of advice that I always give my students, which is so hard to wrap your head around, but it's that you are full of good ideas. Like, use them. Right. Don't sit on a great idea because you're like, one day I'm going to use this in a in my blockbuster movie like fuck that. Put it in your game. You are full of good ideas and you will always be able to create more. So use the best ones now like they're going out of style. Um, go for it. You can't take them with you. Love it. Love it. That's uh, Jim, take us out. Great advice. Yeah, I'm going to um, I'm going to echo uh, Jackson, I think, and say that uh, I want to thank all the all of my fellow gamers who played with me in Star Trek for 30 odd years and all the different campaigns I've run, um, especially because they were all writers, too. And they wrote all this shit down. And, uh, you, you know, Michael, you shared your binder. I was not going to share mine because it's on my shelf behind me. But but um, fortunately, we wrote everything down. I've got it. I, I flip through it all the time. And a lot of that stuff has snuck its way into Star Trek Adventures. Uh, 99% of the people will never know it, but I know the handful of them who've been reading it. They're like, oh, you put that in there and you put that in there. They may just be Easter eggs, but like, don't ever throw your notes away. If you have a good idea and you don't use it right away, write it down somewhere so you don't forget it. I mean, you'll always come up with better ideas eventually, but write your stuff down, be the pack rat. Keep your stuff because you'll always find somewhere else to use it later. Um, it, it's, it's it's part of your DNA, right? All this stuff that you've done is in your DNA. So hang on to it. Keep it. And and because you never know when you're going to find a use for it, right? You know, you guys have been doing your RPG for a long time. Now you're doing comic books for 15, 20 years. That, I'm sure that stuff is influencing it. And you're still pulling content out of that archive and 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 finding new ways to use it. So um, don't be afraid to, you know, absolutely use your great ideas right away. But Keep keep the stuff because you're always going to be able to reference it later. Literally, the entire story of the current Star Trek run, uh, Savage World of Glass and Bone, takes place on this planet called Zenketh that is keyed at in a lot of Star Trek, but is never actually fully essayed. Mm -hmm. um, I had a player who's a gigantic dinosaur nerd. My our, our friend Dan Johnson, he just loves dinosaurs. His parents are paleontologists. He's just really into dinosaurs, and so when he he was like, I want to play as Zenkethi and I want to like make their culture like deeply, deeply dinosaur. And I was like, cool, man. What does it mean to have like cult cultural sentient dinosaurs? Let's play with it. And now all these years later, like it's in the Star Trek. It's in the Star Trek. We did it. There it is. Like there's dinosaurs and they're, they have Dan's like framework, his characters in the book. Like we, we took this stuff from one to the next and you can too. Enough said. And, and enough said you ramped it up Harry Kim with dinosaurs. So Harry Kim with dinosaurs. <laughs> on, Dreams come true. All right. All right. With that. So I'll wrap it up and okay. just say, look, that's that's the power of 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 um, non-television media, comic books, RPGs. You can imagine literally anything and it'll work. Star Trek is big enough. It'll hold every genre. It'll hold any character concept. So throw it in there. Throw all your great ideas into there. Have fun with it. Also, thanks to all the fans. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing awesome shows like this without the fans. We wouldn't be able to get you, you guys on the show. We wouldn't be doing this after seven years without the fans. Mm -hmm. So thank you fans for supporting the game, for supporting Star Trek, for loving it. Um, keep coming back for more. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm loving it. So, uh, thank you all for everything that you do. Um, fans. All right. And the conversation continues. IDIC live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you all again real soon.